he was a wonderful man, very, very intelligent. And it's hard to see those people lose um, the essence of who they are. I remember the impact it had on the family. I remember a few of the events when he started losing his memory and would go driving and forget where he's driving or with the boot open. He got an aggressive form of Alzheimer's disease. My nana looked after him for as long as she could, but eventually because of that aggressive nature of his form of Alzheimer's disease, he had to go into care. It was, it was pretty heartbreaking sometimes. These two women, when in their teens, both lost a grandfather to Alzheimer's, and both are now working on ways to find treatments for the disease. Last month, a development. Scientists think they've figured out how brain cells die in Alzheimer's disease, something that's been a mystery and a source of scientific debate for decades. The team has connected the abnormal proteins that build up in the brain with necroptosis, a form of cellular suicide. The groundbreaking study is not a cure for Alzheimer's, but provides promising pathways for future treatments. The exciting thing is that there's actually drugs that can reverse necroptosis, so this opens up a potential avenue for new treatment options for Alzheimer's disease and dementia. I'm Alexia Russell and today on The Detail, a step forward in finding a new model to crack the Alzheimer's enigma. What does it mean for researchers here and why is this issue so pressing? At the moment, about 70,000 people in New Zealand currently have dementia. This is Erin Corston, a research fellow at the Centre for Brain Research at the University of Auckland. And it's projected to increase to approximately, you know, roughly 170,000 by 2050. And it's only in sort of less than 30 years. Mm. What, what are the factors? Is it just the ageing population? Mm, mostly. The number of people mm. in the ageing population. Do yes. we have the facilities to care for those people? That's a great question. Um, I, I think currently as it stands, no. We don't, wouldn't have the caregivers or the facilities or, or, or the, the, the clinical people. Is this something that gets enough attention? I personally think no. I think there's a lot of people out there trying to get the attention, but I do think it is something that we need to be very aware of in the future. Look, it will be a very big burn, and, and many countries are now quite active in trying to think about how they're going to combat this. In years to come, America, you know, through trillions of, they say it's going to cost trillions of dollars for the care and um, looking after individuals and, and, you know, helping with the disease. So I think it's definitely something that we should be talking more about, um, having open, frank discussions um, with our whānau and, and our governments and, and communities about um, how we're going to combat this. We'll get back to Erin later, but to explain what research is going on in New Zealand, I'm joined by the Neurological Foundation's Sarah Schoenberger. She's the head of research there, looks after all the grant applications that come in, and also translates science speak into lay language. The science we fund is very complex, and the stuff we do in New Zealand is brilliant, so I'm trying to take that down to the level that everyday people can understand and really get behind what we're doing. Okay, the reason why I'm talking to you is that I saw that researchers have unveiled the mystery behind neuron death in Alzheimer's disease, and 
this was kind of sold as a fairly groundbreaking thing that would enable researchers to go off on a different path. Yes. But can you explain to me exactly what this development is? Yes. In New Zealand, all of the scientists are always working with people internationally and watching what's going on in the field so that we're not repeating anything and we're taking on board everything that's new. So in the case of this research, what they've found is that the cells in our brain are dying by a different mechanism than they originally thought. So the normal process for cells in our body to die is called apoptosis. So if we've got extra apoptosis in the brain in dementia, we can't really stop that because it's then it's going to stop the normal processes that are happening all throughout our body, which are really important. So what this paper found is that it's actually a type of cell death that's associated with inflammation. So we know that the brain gets really inflamed in dementia. So what they've found is it's actually a cell death process called necroptosis. And the exciting thing is that there's actually drugs that can reverse necroptosis. So this opens up a potential avenue for new treatment options for Alzheimer's disease and dementia. So it's not a cure for Alzheimer's, but it certainly advances our knowledge in terms of finding a cure. Yes, probably more in terms of finding treatments. So the thing about Alzheimer's disease is the treatments are very, very limited and they only work in some people. So there's a few medications available in New Zealand And they work in about 50% of people, but they don't really extend their life. They just maybe improve their memory or their quality of life for a while. So we really need some effective medications for Alzheimer's disease. But to know how to treat it, you have to first learn exactly what's happening in the brain that leads to it losing its grip on memory. So let's talk towel tangles and amyloid plaques. In the brain and Alzheimer's, the hallmarks of the disease are these big clumps of protein. So one is called amyloid, and so you might have heard of plaques and tangles, so amyloid protein clumps up in these plaques, and another protein called tau clumps up in these tangles. So for someone that's died from Alzheimer's disease, when the pathologist looks at their brain, they see these clumps of protein, these plaques and these tangles. And so there's medications that are trying to take these plaques and tangles out of the brain but what they're seeing is that often they have already damaged the brain so when you're taking them out you might get brain bleeds or brain swelling so there's some quite big side effects from trying to get rid of these hallmarks in the brain so I think this paper opens up the opportunity for exciting new treatments but Alzheimer's is so complex, I think a lot of the treatments will need to be given in combination with things that actually protect the brain and stop it from bleeding or swelling or other things like that because of the damage that's already there. If you try and take that away, it leaves a bit of a mess behind. Can you just get very basic with me in terms of how Alzheimer's starts, how it develops? So these plaques, how how does the brain manufacture those? So basically the two proteins that I talked about, amyloid and tau, they're just normal proteins within the body and they do normal biological processes all throughout the body. And in Alzheimer's disease, it's almost like a they get into a negative feedback loop. So instead of going through their normal processes, 
they start to become these clumps and tangles. And that's what causes the damage and the forgetfulness and the... Yeah, so mm. where we see in the brain that there's these plaques and these tangles, these clumps of protein, which shouldn't be there, they should just be, you know, dissolved in their processes throughout the body, the cells are dying around those areas. And in Alzheimer's disease, that starts in the memory centre of the brain. So that is often the first symptom is that people have memory problems. As the disease progresses, it goes through the different regions of the brain. But one of the interesting things about Alzheimer's is that one of the last regions of the brain to be affected is associated with creativity. So people with Alzheimer's can get involved in crafts and singing and dancing, <laughs> even in quite advanced stages of the disease. Well, that's why you hear about sort of musicians still being able to play complex music. Yes, it. mm. yeah, it's really quite interesting, but it's just to do with what part of the brain is mm. initially filled with these plaques and tangles. Can you see this on an MRI? So the technology that can detect it is something called positron emission tomography, so PET scans you may have heard of. This is generally only available in a research setting. It's not something that could be financially viable to do as a diagnosis. So you might hear about it and it's often used in overseas research labs and some of the clinical trials, but it's not something that's really available for everyone with dementia to have this kind of testing. So how do you know if, for example, you think your mother is getting Alzheimer's, what do you need to look out for? So as people age, generally the brain shrinks. I know it's a horrible thought, but that is just a normal process of ageing. And people forget where they've put things and, you know, forget what they're doing or, you know, do some weird things. And that's just quite normal. But you're looking for something that is really quite abnormal. So, for example, they may drive somewhere and then they can't actually remember how to get home or where they live. So it's really concerning things like that that show people... Um, that they need to go and talk to their GP and the GP will do some memory tests and some physical tests and that can help with the diagnosis. But really it's not until after someone's died that a pathologist can actually confirm that it's Alzheimer's disease because of these plaques and tangles in the brain. One in four Kiwis die with dementia and Alzheimer's is its most common form, making up about 60 to 70% of cases. The University of Auckland's worked out it will cost us $6 billion a year by 2050. Worldwide, it's thought 55 million people have some form of dementia and the numbers are climbing rapidly because of our ageing population. So yes, work on diagnosing and treating it is urgent. Erin Corston is looking into blood biomarkers for Alzheimer's disease. She's just been awarded a Lottery Health Research Grant to import some ultra-sensitive technology that can measure very low levels of proteins in the blood. It's called a single molecule array. It's now being used to analyse these markers. The hope is that eventually a blood test will be able to tell you if you're getting a form of dementia. Looking at early changes in people's memory and, and the beginnings of Alzheimer's disease, we are interested in factors that may affect the onset of Alzheimer's disease or protect um, against the onset of um, Alzheimer's disease. And so really focusing on that early stage and factors that may be involved in that. 
why is the blood a major factor in Alzheimer's? Um, traditionally, uh, it sort of goes back to the beginning and when someone is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, actually technically the gold standard for diagnosis is actually at post-mortem. Um, autopsy of the brain, and we see um, counting the amyloid plaques and tangles. Of course, that's not common. So most people, when they get a diagnosis, it's probable Alzheimer's disease, and that's done clinically, and there isn't biological information generally fed into that. So now we're moving forward and in trying to be able to look at whether or not amyloid and tau and other factors are actually present earlier on. And if we can give clinicians more of an um, an idea of um, if this is an Alzheimer's disease pathology or something else as well, because once again, there are many causes of dementia and Alzheimer's is the most common, but there are many other things. And also there are many other pathologies that are associated with Alzheimer's disease, such as vascular disease, etc., that can also impact on an individual's treatment or, or potential progression. So um, just being able to add more information and not just for, you know, people say, well, if there's no cure, then why do we need this information? But I think for moving forward, you know, for progression, for caring, um, for clinicians, if things start coming on board for treatments, all this information is crucial. Where we see the blood test coming in is, is potentially helping screening or looking at early stages that may be important to watch for progression later on um, and so really giving a little bit of a flag so it's sort of a triage or, or a screening. Erin says an acceleration in new technology lately has sped up research projects including hers. For a long time blood biomarkers for Alzheimer's disease wasn't really even on the radar because what happens is the cerebral spinal fluid actually gets put back into the blood circulation they say dumped into the blood circulation. But what that means is any proteins from the brain that come into the blood are basically very minute, really, really small amounts and very hard to detect. And so for a long time, there hasn't been really the technology to be able to um, look at these very low levels of markers that are from the brain. Um, This all changed around... I think it was around 2017. And uh, we get these ultra-sensitive technologies such as um, single molecule array and there was more mass spec studies carried out. And so basically these are technologies that are able to look at very low levels in the blood. And from these technologies we were able to detect these proteins that have come from the cerebral spinal fluid in, in the brain in the blood. And so that means that um, we can actually start seeing um, changes in the blood for people who potentially have the beginning of Alzheimer's disease. There's huge amounts of work to be done on all this before your GP can use it to back up a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. Lots of complications and unknowns. But there's also a lot of positivity about what we, we are finding and actually how fast this has happened. A lot of this work has only happened in the last 10 years, really moving this field forward quite intensely. So, And is that a recognition of the fact that we are going to be facing this hugely increased numbers of people developing Alzheimer's? I think so. But I also think that it's just, you know, the impetus of the field as well to move forward. No one likes to be static and people want to be able to help 
in the field and so we want to do it the best we can to find ways in which we can help individuals and so the, the field is very passionate and there's so many cheerleaders I've just been to an Alzheimer's Association International Conference and you know there is a lot of work being done in this area and it's an extremely important area so we, we just want to keep moving forward we want many, many inch stones to move forward to get more and more milestones because we really need this. Meanwhile, if you're worried about developing dementia and it's more likely if a parent or sibling has it, remember there is no cure, but Sarah Schoenberger says there are some things you can do to improve your chances of keeping it at bay. Our best prevention for dementia at the moment is actually the Healthy Lifestyle Guidelines. So exercise, eating well. Yeah, good sleep is really important and being active and social, learning new things, not drinking too much, not smoking, having a good range of vitamins and minerals. The Neurological Foundation likes to educate the public also about brain health, so how to keep our brains healthy because it's much easier preventing these diseases than trying to cure them. We've been hearing ultra-high processed food may cause air pollution, may contribute to it. Are things getting worse or not? I guess it would be that complex mixture of genes and environment and lifestyle. So for people that limit their exposure to pollution and lead a healthy lifestyle within that group, the rate is decreasing I don't think it's increasing, but I don't know for sure, um, in people that have like uncontrolled diabetes and smokers and unhealthy lifestyles or have the type of job where they're regularly exposed to pollution. The Neurological Foundation funds research to not only find treatments and possible pathways to cures for dementia, but also ways to improve the lives of sufferers. There's a lot of research going on in New Zealand and... It's all world class. Wow. Who's doing the bulk of it? Is it centred at a particular place or is it all around the country? Generally things are centred around the expertise and technology at a particular institution. One of the benefits of working with the hospitals as well as the universities is that the research that the Neurological Foundation is funding is also reaching patients directly. So, for example, at the moment we're funding a study that's carried out at the University of Otago in Christchurch and they're working directly with patients with Alzheimer's disease that have problems with swallowing. So this is a big factor in diseases like dementia and Parkinson's disease is that people lose the part of their brain that controls their swallowing. So they're choking on food or they're aspirating food into their lungs. So one of the studies that we're funding is looking at how to prevent this. And if you can prevent people getting food in their lungs, then you can prevent them developing things like pneumonia. So this sort of research is on in terms of making life better for people who have Alzheimer's is going hand in hand with trying to find out how it's caused and how to treat it. Yes, so this is directly looking at how to improve the quality of life for people with Alzheimer's disease right now. And I know since COVID when the world scientists came together to work on a vaccine for it. I know since then there's been a lot of more open collaboration between countries. Is that the case here? Is there a lot of international toing and froing? One of the hardest things about COVID was that 
the travel stopped and it stopped their international collaboration because our researchers here, they travel overseas to learn different techniques from different labs to maybe set up in New Zealand and they also travel to conferences to present their work and get it critiqued by the international community. And so that keeps us on the world stage with our research because we're always collaborating as well as getting that feedback from the international community on what we're doing in New Zealand, if we could do things a bit differently and who we could collaborate with. So maybe we do something in New Zealand that we've got the technology set up well here for and then part of the project is done by someone overseas that's got a different technology in their lab or their hospital setting. But Sarah also has a word of warning for those who read or hear that there's been a a breakthrough or something groundbreaking in this field. I think there's two aspects to that. I have the privilege of looking at all the applications that come to us and I always get really excited by the research that's going on. For example, at the moment, we're funding a project at the University of Otago into a gene therapy for Alzheimer's disease. And everything, I think, is really exciting and potentially groundbreaking. But when you see it in the news, there's also that caution that it gives people false hope. It may not get to that stage or it may not get there for another 20 years. And it's not necessarily something that will be helpful to people that have Alzheimer's disease right now. And that's the hard thing because I think people are really wanting that cure for their loved one right now and we want that same thing but the people that get behind the neurological foundation they understand the concept of getting to a milestone you've got all these little inch stones along the way and that's what we fund we keep funding people to keep inching forward with their research to get through to that milestone That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Erin Corsten and Sarah Schoenberger from the Neurological Foundation. Kakite. Ka